Well, what a wonderful morning. Congratulations to Pastor Josh and Tiffany on uh, baby Reese, Reese Christian. And I think we're all excited to see her in person. <laughs> and so uh, we're just happy for them. And say the Lord bless you this morning. Pastor warned me a couple of weeks ago, knowing her due date was today, and she was born on her due date. Uh, so he gave me fair warning and said, be ready, because I'm not planning on speaking the weekend she's due. So uh, we just thank the Lord that the baby has come, things are fine, and our prayers continue with them. Uh, this has been a special weekend for us. Let me just mention, uh, as you know, many of you know, my wife and I have had the privilege and honor the past couple of years to serve with a Christian ministries in the national parks. And uh, a year ago, we got to serve all summer long in the Grand Teton National Park and Christian ministry. This year, we were at Mount Rainier uh, National Park in Washington. Well, last year at the Grand Teton, we had 16 on our team, and uh, all of them young people, college age, and of course, that's right where we're at. We love it. And we had a grand time and really became like family. And uh, this weekend, we've had a reunion. And so it is a thrill to have some of our Grand Teton members here this weekend. They've come from all over Mississippi, Indiana, and Michigan. You all just kind of wave. Raise your hand. So we've had... We have just had a wonderful weekend, and then to have our son and his family here this morning as well, so I've got some support this morning, so I'm thankful for that. <laughs> Amen. Well, this morning, uh, I want to minister on the thought, and I want to thank the praise team, I mean, and Pastor Brandon. I almost thought, boy, the way the songs were going, and Pastor Brandon's exhortations, I thought, I don't need to preach this sermon. It's been preached. So, praise the Lord. Isn't that good how the Lord works? <laughs> but I want to minister on the thought this morning, Peter, a lesson in hope. How many knows we all need hope? We never get to a place in our life that we don't need hope. Next to the Lord, I know myself pretty good, and I need hope. Amen? And so we're going to look at the Apostle Peter this morning and touch on some uh, instances in his life that not only myself, but I think all of us at some point or another can identify with the Apostle Peter. Now, I really identify with him. It's amazing how in the Gospels, you actually get to learn their personalities and character types. And I've always identified with Peter in the sense that he was more or less the sanguine, the sappy sanguine of the group. And uh, that, that's the kind of character type I am. I'm a, you know, a extrovert. You know, I, I like to party. My rally cry is party and sin not. And we partied this weekend, and we didn't sin, so that's good. <laughs> and I tend to be a little bit more emotional than rational, moved by my heart rather than my head. And God has given me a wonderful wife who pays attention to details because I don't. 
And I'm thankful for that. So that's it. And I also, if I'm not careful, I speak first, think later. How many has ever done that? So I, I have what people say at times in my life. I have opened my mouth and inserted my foot. And uh, it, the Apostle Peter, we're going to see, there were some instances where Peter hopped around on one foot because the other foot was in his mouth. And uh, the other thing that's interesting is Peter was a natural-born leader. If you read the Gospels, you realize that the Apostle Peter was more or less kind of the leader of the group next to Jesus. But I don't recall an election. It's as if Peter assumed that position and they followed him. So, uh, but how many knows this morning that God doesn't leave a job half done? One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. How many knows that we are all in process? We are all under construction. I've always said there is no arrival point this side of eternity. We are always arriving. It is a lifelong process. Aren't you thankful for that? There's always room for growth. And so what is happening? The Father is taking our humanness and transforming it into the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's a lifelong process. Now, either by death or the trumpet, we will be developed. But I'm thankful. He who has begun the work will complete it, which underscores the fact that God is at work in my life. Amen? So we know that God is faithful. God loves us, and I'm thankful for this. God is patient. God is long-suffering. Someone said, what's long-suffering? Turn it around. It means suffering long. The evidence of his great love for you and I is his forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but I can always use a fresh dose of his forgiveness in my life. Amen. The important thing is this. Hear me this morning. God will never give up on you. He will never wash his hands of you. Whether you like it or not, whether you're running from him or not, God will continue to pursue you. Glory. He loves us with an everlasting love. And the evidence of his love again is his forgiveness. Now, Peter was the great apostle. Peter was a saint. Peter opened the door to the Gentile world for the gospel. Peter was strong and courageous, and we see that in his life. Peter was a man of conviction. But we also learn, if we read the gospels carefully, Peter was also human. Peter blew it 
more than once. If anybody needed God's forgiveness, Jesus' forgiveness, Peter needed it. If anybody needed hope, Peter needed hope. And I don't know about you, but I'm in the same boat. I need hope, I need God's forgiveness, and I am thankful for that. John Ortberg said this, if there is one way that human beings consistently underestimate God's love, it is perhaps in his loving longing to continuously forgive us. Aren't you thankful for that? Look at John chapter 21, and then we'll come back to it later. John chapter 21, many of us are acquainted with this scripture text. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. It says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now, no. Peter was grieved because the Lord said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Now we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. But again, I want us to look at these few instances in Peter's life that led up to this appointment with Jesus at, the, at breakfast on the seashore this early morning. And I want us to look at, first of all, at Peter's foolish pride. Matthew chapter 26, we won't go there, but let me, most of all are acquainted with it. But it's where Jesus announces in Matthew chapter 26, he tells them ahead of time, he says, the shepherd is going to be stricken and the sheep are going to be scattered and you will be offended or you will stumble because of this because in other words, he's telling them, you're going to scatter and leave me. And the word there, offended or stumbled in the New King James Version, is the idea of you will be scandalized by this. You will fall away. You'll run away because of doubt and fear will overcome you. And Peter, he steps forward and kind of arrogance versus confidence he makes a public boast in front of all them, and he basically uses the eye. He says, Lord, they may run and leave you, but I will not desert you. I will remain with you. Now, we know the story, don't we? What happened to Peter? But note, Peter put himself up above the others and at the same time, in a sense, put them down. So Peter made this arrogant 
confession before the others and made his boast. We also see later a presumption versus faith. For we know that when they eventually came there in the garden and came to arrest Jesus, we know that Peter, his first response was to do what? He found a sword and went to work, jumped in, swung the sword. Thank goodness he was a bad shot because rather than lop the guy's head off, he lopped his ear off. But you know what the scripture says? That Jesus healed that servant and picked up the ear and healed him. Now catch this. In a sense, Jesus cleaned up Peter's mess. But presumption versus faith, there's a difference. Peter presumed this was the thing to do to defend Jesus, and Jesus gently rebuked him. After Peter went into action, Jesus told him, put away the sword. For those who pick up the sword will die by the sword. And then he healed the servant. And I've always thought, can you imagine what that servant thought after Jesus healing his ear? But here was Jesus, in a sense, following up Peter's presumptuous action and cleaning up his mess. May I say there's been many times in my life that I have presumed rather than exercise faith, jumped into action, and the Lord has had to clean up my mess afterwards. Anybody here ever have any messes cleaned up by the Lord? Oh, yeah. So the Lord took care of it. So Peter's presumption caused him to make a wrong action, but the Lord cleaned his mess up. Aren't you thankful for that? And then in Matthew chapter 18, Peter's self-promotion, he makes a suggestion to Jesus, and Jesus, of course, has been teaching them kingdom principles. And Peter suggests something that, you know, he's kind of proud of. He said, Lord... How many times should we forgive? Seven times? I love that. Now, the law, I believe, required at least six times. So Peter, he's going to be gracious and not only do the law, but he's going to throw in an extra one and say, Lord, should we forgive seven times? Peter wanted to make an impression. Lord, look at how gracious I am. How many times in my life I've wanted to make an impression and made a disingenuous statement that promotes self. Jesus again corrected Peter's thinking, more or less kind of blew him away. And again, I like what one person said, Peter got another taste of his sandaled foot. Jesus said, no, I say unto you, seven times seventy almost see the disciples pulling out their calculator. Let's see. 490 times? Lord, is that for one event or is that what? Of course, we know what Jesus meant. Jesus threw that number out to say there should be no time that you shouldn't forgive. Why? Because that's how God forgives. There is no limit to God's forgiveness and Jesus is making that point. 
So there are times that we make disingenuous statements because they're really made to promote ourselves and they're not genuine. Peter missed again. How many times have we struck out in life thinking that we were doing what was right? And then in Luke chapter 5, the first five verses, again, we're not going there due to time, you see Peter's self-determination. Jesus comes along the shore, steps into Peter's boat. A crowd has already formed. Jesus asks him to shove away from the shore a little ways so he could teach him. And of course, the water amplified his voice, and Jesus taught the crowd. Now, after he taught Jesus asked Peter to move out into the deep and cast his net into the water to fish. What was Peter's response? Peter wanted to inform Jesus, uh, I've been fishing all night and I've had no luck. I've caught absolutely no fish. In other words, I've been at it all night. I've already done this, and you know what? I'm ready now to go home and get some rest. But I love how the text says Jesus looked at him. Can you imagine what that look looked like? It's almost as if Jesus is saying, Peter, humor me. Throw out the net. And of course, Peter, yes, Lord, he threw the net out. And we know what happened, don't we? Not only was the net full of fish, it almost started to sink the boat. He caught the fish. Uh, Peter gave in, let down his net. Next thing we know, he was struggling not only to save the net and pull the fish in, but to save the boat. And his response then was, Lord, who are you? I am a sinful man. Depart from me. He sees something in Jesus again that blows his mind. Even though in the midst of his stubborn will, Jesus still shows him who he really is. There have been times in my life, as I'm sure in your life, that we have blown it because of our stubbornness and our self-will. But rather than Jesus rebuke us and leave, he works with us and says, no, do it again, humor me, and then we see the power of God in action in our life, and we are humbled and awed at God's faithfulness again, again, and again. God will never forsake you. God will never leave you. God will never give up on you. Why? He who has begun a good work will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, friend, God is at work in your life even when you don't think he is at work and he's left you. Glory. Aren't you thankful for that? He will never give up on us. And so here we see, again, Jesus works with Peter through this. And then in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 23, probably the one time the apostle Peter smacked a home run, put it in baseball terms. (laughs) He knocked it out of the park. Jesus is with the disciples there in Caesarea Philippi, And he asked them the question, who do men say that I am? The the disciples responded and said, 
You are, some say you're the resurrected John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Some say you were Jeremiah. Some say you are some prophet. But Jesus asked them more pointedly, whom do you say that I am? Peter, I mean, he hits it. The nail on the head. He gets it. And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow. Jesus tells Peter, he says, Peter, the Father has revealed this to you. Now, when I read the Bible, I, my imagination kicks in, and I, I, I just, I'm not saying it actually happened. I'm just saying I, I imagine. You know, the old video turns on. And Jesus responds to Peter and says, Peter, the Father has revealed this to you. Knowing Peter and his presumption and some of the things he has confessed and boasted about in front of the other disciples, uh, this is Engel's translation. I almost get the idea that Peter's standing there after Jesus says that to Peter. He's, oh, guys? I don't know, maybe a couple of the disciples, they kind of pat him on the back. Way to go, Pete. Great answer. Yeah. So, he hits it. He hits it, but no, his claim to fame doesn't last very long because as you move down those verses, Jesus then tells them again numerous times, he tells them what's going to happen. He tells them we are going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. And then I'm going to raise up from the dead. Well, Peter's feeling pretty confident now. How many times in our life that there have been times, no, we've done right. I mean, we did it good. You know, we've been complimented. And we feel the assurance of the Lord that we did that right. And then the next time, the confidence is up here a little bit. We step forward in presumption. And note what Peter was doing. Peter, in his confidence, takes Jesus, the master, aside and attempts to correct his thinking. Hello. Lord. You know, he, he, he's basically saying this. He, he, he's telling him, you, this can't happen. Lord, what are you thinking? This shouldn't be. Now, note. A few minutes, I don't know how long the time lapsed, but it's basically the same event where he said, Peter the Father has revealed this to you. And then after Peter attempts to pull Jesus aside and correct his thinking, imagine attempting to correct the master. I have to admit, there have been times I thought I knew better than Jesus. Lord, shouldn't we? You know, Lord, I've got this plan. Lord, I think we should... Lord, is this really necessary? You know, I've got all my excuses. Jesus looked at Peter and says, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you do not have the mind of God, but the mind of the flesh, carnal man. So one moment, he's telling Peter, the Father has revealed this to you. And then the next moment, he says, get thee behind me, Satan. So he goes from the Father to the devil. 
Imagine how he felt then. His fame didn't last very long. How many times in our lives have we thought we knew better than the Lord? Lord, I think this is the way we should go. Or we give Lord directions only to experience His rebuke. But you know what? In His rebuke, hear this, He's loving you. Let me say that again. In His rebuke, He is loving you. He, when he said, get thee behind me, Satan, he was addressing who, in a sense, was causing him to say this to Jesus. But Jesus was not condemning Peter to do away with him, but to build him. Amen? So, then we come to Matthew chapter 26. We're all acquainted with this. And like I said, I'm only highlighting certain instances in Peter's life. Peter's big time failure in Matthew 26. And it's where we understand Peter had already more than once made his boast before the apostles publicly. But here Peter blows it publicly, and it's where Peter denies Jesus three times. Peter boasted. Peter had already lifted himself above the others at their expense. Peter was prayerless and asleep while Jesus prayed. Peter was self-absorbed and self-centered. Peter denied Jesus. He denied his best friend and master not once, but three times. And after he finished and realized because the Lord told him this would happen, the scripture says he went out and wept bitterly. All the props had been kicked out from under him. There have been times in our life where no doubt we have experienced the props have been kicked out from under us. I mean, there's no more room to fall. We're at the bottom. Peter was publicly humiliated. Imagine, Peter was deeply ashamed. He ran off and wept bitterly. Peter had fallen into the depths of despair. There, hear this, at that time in his life, I'm sure Peter felt there was now absolutely no hope. It's over. It doesn't get any worse than that. Denying the Master, denying the Lord. His worst fears had come upon him. And he's wrestling with the question, how could I have done this? Have you ever been there? How could I have done this? No doubt he didn't want to see anyone, didn't want to talk to one, and he certainly didn't want to see Jesus and see him again. It was bad enough that when he denied him, Jesus had told him, no, very important, don't miss this. Jesus knew he was going to deny him. He told him it would happen before the rooster crows. You will deny me three times. So he knew it. And the scripture says that when he denied Jesus, the rooster crowed and Jesus was passing by with the elders, taking him to the court. And Jesus turned and looked at Peter at that moment. 
after he denied him, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. Note, Jesus knew Peter would deny him. Hear me this morning. There is nothing about you and I that will ever surprise the Lord. Let me say that again. There is nothing about you or you will do that will ever surprise the Lord. He fully knows who you are. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what's coming down the pike, and yet his love and faithfulness and forgiveness remain steadfast. Aren't you thankful for that? In other words, there's nothing you can do right now to cause God to love you any more than he already does, and there is nothing you can do right now that will cause God to love you any less. Glory. That's love that's beyond human. We deny Christ in different ways. We have denied Him through disobedience, through sin of omission, not just commission. Our lack of awareness of His presence in our life. Our distraction with the cares of life and the things of this world. We give Him the leftovers, and what's left over is not very much. We're busier than what God intended us to be through fouled up priorities and inverted sense of values, we can deny the Lord in certain ways. We are blinded by our own self-will. But aren't you thankful Jesus remains? Even though we don't. He's faithful, even when we're not. So back to John chapter 21, we've already read it, But let's look at this. Jesus is doing something special at that fireside that early morning. Loving how many knows loving Jesus can be a painful experience? Amen. Loving Jesus can be a painful experience. Three times Jesus had appeared to his disciples after the resurrection. And the previous two times, interesting, nothing was said of the Apostle Peter. There was nothing mentioned about him stepping forward or saying anything. Before Peter denied Jesus, looking at the before and after, before he denied Jesus, he was the center of attention. He was boastful. He was always out front. He was usually the first one to speak and answer for the group. Peter enjoyed the limelight. After Peter denied the Lord, and in his post-resurrection appearances, the first two, he remained in the background. He had nothing to say. Ashamed, guilt-ridden, humbled, hurt, humiliated. He was emptied of self. Self. Stuffed with self. I heard someone say one time, God will never send you away empty unless you come to Him full of yourself. And that's what was happening here in Peter's life. So Peter encounters Christ in John 21. It's 6 a.m. in the morning, and Peter and the rest of gang have been fishing all night long. 
And guess what? They've caught nothing. It's interesting that after the first two appearances, after the resurrection, one day Peter gets up and says, you know what? I'm going fishing. I'm going back to the one thing I'm fully acquainted with, and that's fishing. We haven't seen Jesus in a while. We don't know what's going to happen. And so I'm going to go back to what I know is familiar to me. Ever been there, done that? (laughs) Still with me this morning? I'm going to go back to what's familiar. And no, he goes back to something that was familiar to him. Peter has been raised on the Sea of Galilee. He's a professional fisherman. That is what he knows. But note, oh, hear this. This, I'll try to finish on time here, but it's growing as I speak. But he goes back to what's familiar and what he knows. But note, after he has encountered the resurrected Christ, how many knows you can go back to what you thought you knew and you're familiar with, but it will never be the same again. He fished all night and caught nothing. Empty. Then as they're coming to the shore about 6 a.m. in the morning, Peter and the rest of the gang have been fishing all night. They've caught nothing. Their empty nets were gathered back in the boat. A night of absolute frustration. But someone... (laughs) Isn't it amazing how Jesus shows up when we least expect it at times? But someone, a lone figure on the shore, calls out to them... And in the Greek, the question is put in such a way that it expects a negative answer. And that's, he could have said this, children, you haven't caught anything, have you? (laughs) Well, this is to see if they'll acknowledge, hear this, this is to see if they'll acknowledge their failure. Jesus has a way of asking questions to see if we will admit the truth about ourselves. Wow. A remarkable thing happened. Catch it. These fishermen admitted they didn't catch anything. Wow. That doesn't happen too often with fishermen. But they replied. They didn't catch anything. It's almost as if They're asking Jesus, so what's your point? But no, the story here of Peter's restoration starts with an admission of failure. May I say, no pun intended, when they admitted their failure, that's what Jesus was fishing for. To see if they would admit their failure. May I say, it's in admitting and confessing our failures that restoration 
begins. The Lord must get us. Are you still with me this morning? The Lord wants to get us to the point where we are quick. Yes, Lord, I have failed. Then the restoration process can begin. And that's what happened here. The story starts out with an admission of failure. That's exactly what Jesus wanted. So what does Jesus do? Jesus... Put yourself in the disciples' place all night long, probably in two different boats, nothing. And Jesus says, try it again. Say what? Try it again. Throw your nets on the other side. Don't give up yet. Give it another shot. The disciples did what Jesus told them to do, even though naturally it does not make sense. May I say, the most logical thing you can do is trust an illogical God. He doesn't need our logic. He doesn't need our calculations. He doesn't need our excuses. He doesn't need what's happened in the past. He wants obedience in the moment. He's not asking us to go from day to day knowing. He simply asks us each and every day, will you trust me? And so they throw the nets on the other side. The nets nearly broke. The boat nearly sank because of the load of fish. And note, the scripture intimates that Peter recognized who this was by his voice. The other disciples didn't fully recognize who it was, but Peter knew immediately. And the scripture says, Peter dove into the water and swam to shore. Let the disciples take care of their own net. When Peter arrives on the shore, then we get into the text where Jesus is fixing breakfast. Now, I want to just share a little detail here. The scripture here in John 21 mentions a charcoal fire. Jesus had prepared, and he was already cooking fish. In John chapter 18, John 18, the night of Peter's denial... The scripture, John explicitly states there was a charcoal fire there in the courtyard where Peter was standing warming himself. And it was at that charcoal fire that Peter denied Jesus three times. I don't think that's coincidence. Now here was another charcoal fire, and no doubt Peter, when he arrives at the fire, possibly recalls that early morning. And now here he is with Jesus face to face. He's going to have to face the truth to what he has done. And probably the first time that he is alone with Jesus after the resurrection. And he's going to have to face it. There are times in our Christian walk where there comes times that we have to face Jesus alone, can't depend on anybody else, and we've got to face the truth about ourselves and allow Jesus to do what he needs to do in our life. Amen? Acknowledge the truth about ourselves. Face up to reality. Take off the mask. 
Jesus confronts Peter. Breakfast is over now. Jesus and Peter are sitting around the fire. And as I said, there's no doubt this is the first time Peter is alone with Jesus after his denial. Peter is unsure. I I mean, I'm putting myself there. We can only imagine he's unsure. He's unnerved. He's been alone with Jesus. He's waiting for the verdict to be pronounced. Jesus simply asked Peter a question, a simple question, and that's this. Peter, do you love me? At this point, this is not an easy question for Peter to answer because Peter knows his track record, and he simply says, yes. But he says yes in such a way. He says, Lord, I really want to mean what I say. Catch the humility now. I really want to mean what I say. But you, Lord, know my heart better than I do right now. And I'm not going to jump out there. Peter no longer trusts his own ability. His self-confidence is drained like an empty bathtub. But this empty, hear this, but this emptiness is the key to him being restored and made right before the Lord again. May I say again, serving Jesus, an intimate relationship with our Lord can be painful at times. But if you understand, we are under process and we are being made into the image of Jesus Christ. Glory So he's performing heart surgery here on Jesus. Jesus. Peter is now hurting deeply from Jesus. He repeats the question three times. Jesus is restoring Peter. Peter, hear this. From this breakfast, Peter will never be the same again. His life will be changed. Jesus told Peter to feed my sheep. Here's what he's saying. Peter, get back in the game. Yes, what you've done was rough, was hard, major failure. But look at me, Peter. Three times he asked the question, get back in the game, feed my sheep. May I say the enemy of our soul would love for us to drop out throw up our hands and say, I quit. I've blown it one too many times. This was too much for even the Lord. I've denied him three times. But rather than the Lord dismiss Peter, he says, get back in the game, Peter. Nurture the gifts I've given you. Cherish your calling and devote yourself once again to me, the church, and the faith. Glory. So how does grace, love, and forgiveness of God fit here? God's justice and, oh, hear me this morning. God's grace and justice met together on the cross of Jesus Christ. 
It is the cross of Jesus Christ that has dealt with sin and failure once for all. And all the damage in our life that's wreaked on us was dealt with on the cross over 2,000 years ago. And the Lord is looking at you this morning with all the failures and all the misattempts still saying, get back in the game. What I paid for you was too expensive. You are not a cheap commodity. Glory. That's where the penalty was paid. Story is told of IBM where Tom Watson Sr., the CEO and founder of IBM years ago, had a junior executive that he put in charge of a major project to get his his feet wet. And basically, the project went south badly, and IBM lost over $10 million with that failed project under that junior executive. Within a short while, that junior executive got a notice to come meet with Tom Watson Sr., the CEO of IBM, and he figured out it's over. So he had already prepared his resignation, went into the executive's office, handed him his letter, and said, I know I've blown it. Uh, What can I say? Here's my resignation. Tom Watson stood to his feet. He said, your resignation, I want you to know, young man, I can't afford your resignation. I just spent $10 million on you. Wow. Jesus looked at Peter that morning And he looks at us when we blow it because he knows we need hope. Jesus looks at you and says, I I can't afford your resignation. I just spent a crucifixion and a resurrection on you. You get back in the game. Glory! That's where God wants us. Get back in the game. Hear this this morning. In God's house, we've heard this before, failure is never final. So Jesus told Peter, get back in the game, Peter. And in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter step forward on the day of Pentecost and ministering in the power of the Holy Ghost. And when his message is done, all Jerusalem is astir. And catch this, 3,000 souls enter the kingdom of God after his preaching. I'm here to encourage you this morning and let you know that we have hope. We always have hope. Failure is not final. You are never without hope.